Welcome to the March 25th, 2016 edition of Colorado Inside Out. I'm your host, Dominic Dizzuti. Thank you very much for joining us. Let's get a quick take on Donna Lynn, Governor John Hickenlooper's pick for Lieutenant Governor. Lynn, an executive with Kaiser Permanente, previously worked with four New York City mayors and has stated she has absolutely no interest in running for governor. Obviously a prerequisite. Patty Calhoun from uh, Westward, what did you think of the pick now that Lynn, if confirmed, will become our uh, the fifth woman to serve as Lieutenant Governor in Colorado? Well, I, I don't think gender has a whole lot to do with this. I think it's great that she doesn't want to run. That avoids the Bill of Adal problem in Denver. You know, the lieutenant governor position got a bad rap decades ago, the do-nothing position, but I think certainly with previous lieutenant governors and definitely Joe Garcia, the coolest lieutenant governor we've ever had, it shows a, a, a person with expertise can really be a big asset to the state. Joe has the background in education, and Donna Lynn, by all accounts, his government, but also incredible experience with Kaiser in health care issues, public service, so I think she'll be an asset. Craig Silverman, attorney with Silverman and Levis, also a, a talk show host in KNUS. Uh, what did you think of the pick? Donna Lynn who? I mean, I never heard of her. I know she came from New York City. She's probably a, a very fine person. Uh, I assume she was affiliated with Mayor Bloomberg. I noticed She's given $80,000 to Democrats through the years, maxed out to Michael Bennett. Uh, hey, uh, if she's just a placeholder, because now John Hickenlooper's talking about moving on to Washington, I'd like to know more about her. Get her on Channel 12. <laughs> Get her on Channel 12, indeed. That would be a nice idea, Craig. Also join us, Penn Tate, uh, with a QTAC Rock, also uh, a former state lawmaker. As a former state lawmaker, do you see any hurdles in her confirmation? No, I really don't. Um, and, and I think she's an excellent pick. Um, to, to Patty's point, historically people have perceived the lieutenant governor's um, position is a do-nothing job, but that's really a function of the relationship between the governor and the lieutenant governor. And if you remember way back to when Mark Hogan was lieutenant governor and sort of went on off and did a few things, and that's when we sort of changed the constitutional structure of the role of the lieutenant governor. Um, Donna has a great relationship with the mayor. He officiated at her wedding uh, a few years ago, so there's a personal relationship, there's a professional relationship. Um, her giving does not bother me, because she's not going to run for office, but the bottom line is she's worked in government before. She's worked for four different mayors on both sides of the aisle in New York City. She ran operations. She was head of operations for New York City. She She's, she's an experienced manager in the healthcare industry where she's an expert. And given some of the issues we're facing as a state, that expertise will probably um, be, be, um, serve her well. Uh, we just need to hope that uh, Governor Hickenlooper gives her some room to do her thing so that she can actually provide the experience and, and the benefit of, of her um, background uh, for, the, for the, the best interest of the people of the state. 
John Bowman joins us from Five Points News. Great to have you back, John. He joins. <laughs> exactly. The, a long essence, but great to have you back at the table. Uh, what do you think about uh, the, the point that Penn just made? Do you think Governor Hickelooper is going to uh, give his lieutenant governor, uh, uh, of course, if she is confirmed, uh, more to do in her role? Well, she'll have a tough time, as Patty indicated, uh, you know, living up to the legacy that, uh, if, if that is a good word, uh, that uh, Joe Garcia left. But uh, because she is, a, you know, a health care expert, uh, so to say, um, hopefully she'll be just what the doctor ordered for the state as we continue to fool around with Obamacare, Hillary Care, whatever it's going to be called. That's a great point. And uh, great, uh, exact same thing that uh, the Senate president of Hill Cadman said. Good point. Two major world events made headlines this week as terrorists struck an airport and, and train station in Belgium, and President Obama made an historic visit to Cuba. Belgium's, Belgium's competency in dealing with security, con security concerns is at issue after not probing a suspect in the Paris attacks about future threats. Meanwhile, President Obama became the first U.S. president since 1928 to visit Cuba. Patty, it was a surreal day seeing President Cuba at a baseball game in Cuba. You can stop right there. But then getting interviewed by ESPN about terrorist attacks in Belgium. It was, uh, from everything we've seen this week, what's your take? Well, there were a lot of images that were really tough to look at this week. First, I, it's horrible that it takes a tragedy of this magnitude to actually knock the presidential campaign out of the news for about three seconds. It didn't take long because all of a sudden then we were hearing about whether or not Trump would use the nuclear option. But the irony of watching the president go to Cuba, which was 50 years ago our arch enemy, the worst thing we could possibly imagine, and now you have the enemy looking like it can come within us at any time, and certainly within Belgium. So it just it was really a time for retrospection and thinking about it was actually easier to think about what we wanted to do with our Cold, Air, Cold War enemies compared to how do you really track ISIS. Uh, obviously, Belgium authorities had some problems with it. They're talking about different languages that are used that they didn't communicate as well with other European law enforcement agencies, that they're completely open borders, which makes it tougher. But obviously, you need to share information more. You need to crack down. How America's going to protect itself, too, it's hard to know. But I don't think some of the solutions we've heard so far in the presidential campaign are the way to go. Craig, as you saw the different reactions to uh, both the attacks and the reactions to what was going on in Cuba, um, what struck you as the most important to carry forward? Well, you guys talked about horrible images. And let's start with bad images. And that was President Obama with the Castros when this happened, going ahead and going to the baseball game and then uh, going down to Argentina, dancing a tango. It's been now revealed that two Americans were killed. Looks like it was targeted against America. It happens in the capital of Europe, and you don't interrupt. You give 50 seconds to it. This is disappointing, but it's consistent with the president's attitude, which is kind of missing in action, benign neglect. Now, to the credit of the United States, under our commander-in-chief, it appears the number two in uh, ISIS, the Islamic State, was killed. That's a good start. So um, it's a bad problem. And 600 people in Europe who had training with the Islamic State, and they just get to come back into a community like Muhlenbeck in uh, Brussels, where they don't give up. Abdeslam, one of the perpetrators of the Paris atrocity, 
there's a big problem going on. And Donald Trump is talking about it, Patty. You want to bring up presidential candidates? You want to know why he's popular? Because we have a problem. We have to face up to it. These kind of enclaves in America, it's not a good thing. We don't have it, thank God, in America. I hope we never do. But in no-go zone for the cops, Sharia law in parts of your country, who you talk about anti-American. I'd like to hear the American president speak about that quite a bit more. Penn, uh, one of the things that President Obama had mentioned uh, when he was still at the baseball game and said, hey, part of my reaction is that life continues to go forward, which is what terrorists do not want to see. Um, did he make the right call? What did you make of the reaction to all the events? I, I think he did make the right call, and, and it's, it's the what happened in Belgium is tragic, and I'll talk about that in a minute, but I think what's going on in Cuba is sort of related to it. When you look back at our history, one of the reasons Cuba became an en enemy was due to the Cuban Missile Crisis during the Kennedy administration, and the tie there was Russia was sending weapons to Cuba, and our concern was that Russian weapons this close to U.S. soil. Well, Putin's behavior notwithstanding, we have somewhat normalized relationships with Russia and did that even as far back as the Reagan administration, but we still have isolated Cuba, and the question becomes, why? Cuba didn't have the military strength to be a threat. Their only threat was because of their geographic location, their association with, with the Soviet Union, and the Soviet Union isn't quite what it used to be. So I, I think President Obama did the right thing by going to Cuba, by working in normalized relations, and quite frankly, his presence there and continued U.S. presence, notwithstanding the fact that we don't want to see McDonald's on every corner, but it's going to change how Cuba evolves and what happens there. And I would argue that it is going to eventually bring about a more democratic society. Maybe not directly reflective of what we have here in the U.S., but it's going to change Cuba over time. And I would argue that part of what's wrong with the Middle East is we don't know who to talk to and have we haven't done a good job of, of being engaged with the right folks at the right time to stop some of this terrorist junk. Don't get me wrong, what the terrorists are doing is unacceptable, and it needs to be met with military and other forces to quell it. There's no excuse for bombing and blowing up a bunch of innocent people because you're angry at somebody. That's not acceptable. But our engagement in the Middle East historically has not worked. The way we've done it in terms of supporting this dictator or that dictator and switching sides and arming some folks one month and then next month they're our enemies. So I, I, we've got to be in Cuba, but we've also got to deal with these terrorists. And I'm disappointed the Belgium authorities had the guy in custody um, and they were busy asking him about Paris rather than, you know, what's with all the explosives you've got stashed in this other house? It we have to do a better job as a global community coordinating with one another to deal with these terrorist threats. John, what was the biggest takeaway for you after seeing all of these, some historical uh, and some tragic uh, global events this week? Well, quite frankly, you know, Paris and Brussels without, it goes without saying, tragic events. Bottom line is on, you know, there's a lot of backlash coming, uh, you know, toward the president for, for continuing with the trip to, uh, to Cuba and to Argentina. But at the same time, you've you got to understand, he's, th th these, these, the itinerary for these trips didn't just happen like, oh, let's, next week we'll go over there and next week we'll go down there. Uh, th these have been planned out. The president can't turn around, uh, uh, you know, an itinerary in a day. In, in two hours. It's too bad they happened on the same day, quite frankly, um, because there would have been more time for, for retro, 
you know, for thinking. But at the bottom line is, I'm sure the president was briefed, you know, on what was going on in Belgium. I'm sure he knew what was going on. To get him to say, okay, well, I'm going to dump this 50-year, you know, plan to, you know, renegotiate with Cuba and, 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 you know, they haven't been to Argentina. The president hasn't been to Argentina since the 90s as well. So the bottom line is, I think that was okay that he did that. I don't think that he could. Do you want the president to fly to, Bel to Brussels and, and be in, in, you know, right in harm's way? I don't think that's the answer either. But as Penn said, you know, we have had a bad history of dealing with the Middle East, as has the rest of the world. This has been going on since 1099, since the Crusades. I don't know that it's ever going to end. I don't know how we get out of the morass. I don't know how we, uh, other than, as, he, as Penn also said, as we have to learn how to better deal with our, our friends in Europe and our friends in the Middle East, if we have any friends in the Middle East. I don't even know if we have any friends anymore. But the bottom line is you've got to do something. When the Turks have this guy at the border and they tell, they tell the Belgium officials, hey, you've got to do something with this guy. He's bad news. Don't let him in. And they let him in. So, I mean, you've got different levels of security in different countries around the world. Ours, perhaps, is the best, and, and, and the war has to be brought to us, so to speak. The blizzard of 2016 seemed to catch the entire city by surprise this week. The city of Denver decided not to clean residential streets, saying the storm did not meet certain criteria. Meanwhile, when Denver Public Schools decided to close on Thursday, and how DIA handled the storm also have been called into question. Craig, I know it's easy to play Monday morning, or I guess in this case Friday morning quarterback of the, of the blizzard coverage, but it seemed that even though we had a lot of weather forecasters saying it was going to be a big deal, uh, we had a lot of delays and questions with uh, entities from DPS to the city. What do you think? Well, I'm a native, so I've seen a lot of snow, and that was epic. I mean, uh, who could have predicted that? But I didn't hear, I knew it was going to snow, but not like that. It was just stay-at-home kind of day, and it's been that kind of year. My kids had five snow days, so they're going to have to go longer. And uh, so when people say, oh, you know, it was worse this or then, yeah, there have been worse sustained blizzard, and if it's in uh, January, it's a lot worse than in March. But uh, who knows, maybe it'll snow like that again tonight, and <laughs> I'll have trouble getting to the radio. Because I don't think I could have gotten anywhere the other day. It's just a lot of people were stuck in the house, and if you weren't, my kid was supposed to go on a trip to DIA. Thank God I got my wife before she got too far on 225, because once you're at the airport and then paying your clothes, you're trapped. Mm -hmm. and, and can I say one more thing? So many people caught at the airport not enough hotel space, seems to me some smart person could develop an app for that. Because, you know, if somebody wanted to drive to my house, they needed a place to sleep rather than on the cold floor at DIA. I think people would sign up for that. All you had to do was arrange for the helicopter to go pick them up and come <laughs> right. in. No, no, but I mean, I mean later in the, in the night, oh, it, later saying, in sure. the night it was all passable, but these people still had to sleep on the floor at DIA. Hey, you didn't think you'd see people sleeping at DIA anymore between having a hotel attached to the airport and the fact that it's the best, uh, you know, uh, terrible weather airport in the country. But, Ben, as you looked at how the different entities reacted, um, Denver Public Schools, uh, DIA, also um, you had different power situations, what did you take away? Do you think, and sometimes you say this kind of act of God, well, you just do the best you can. Did officials do the best they could? 
I won't answer the last question, <laughs> but let me offer this. Um, Craig's right. I'm not a native, but I've been here a long time. I've seen a lot of snowstorms. And I understand the city has criteria for cleaning the streets. And one thing about, by, about criteria is hopefully they're not immutable. You ought to reevaluate them on a regular basis. Um, and this was a situation where pretty quickly you could see this storm was escalating and perhaps it was time to reevaluate the criteria and do certain things so the city wouldn't be immobilized. Um, I was like a number of people. I had a 9 a.m. meeting on Wednesday and it wasn't canceled and it was at Denver Water. So I got up and drove to Denver Water and as soon as we finished our board meeting, Denver Water closed down. Um, but I was closer to my office than I was to my home. So then I went to my office figuring, well, it's going to be easier to get to the office, and it almost wasn't because with the blowing snow, you couldn't see anything. So I got to my office, and I got there and said, well, gee, it's so bad outside. Maybe I ought to just wait it out. Bad idea. I should have <laughs> risked it because by the time I drove home, the drifts were piling up. And, you know, my car got high-centered and stuck twice, and I had to shovel it out because the roads weren't plowed. Uh, and so I think the time has come where... Between DPS, the other city agencies, state government, you know, federal government, they didn't deliver the mail on Wednesday. Um, they didn't run the garbage trucks on Wednesday. They didn't run the recycle trucks on Wednesday. There needs to be a little bit better coordination so that if everything's going to shut down, shut it all down and announce when. And, and one thing I will say to the meteorologist, they're not always wrong. There are times when they're actually right. <laughs> and when they're right and when you see their predictions are coming true, a faster response is probably warranted. So hopefully all levels of government will get together and talk about this. When uh, we saw the blizzard warning come by, uh, our, our friends over at uh, KCNC Channel 4, uh, we saw the blizzard warning on our, our phones on Tuesday afternoon. Well, it's 70 degrees. We were, no one even had a, had a jacket on. We're like, this is going to be crazy. And they, they were dead on. Is exactly right. Uh, John, speaking of news coverage, were you happy you weren't on blizzard coverage Absolutely. on Wednesday? Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. You know, uh, having grown up in Chicago, uh, went to school at Syracuse, did two year, a two-year stand in Buffalo, and now 30, 30 in, Buffalo, <laughs> in Denver here, I've seen all kinds of snow. Lake effect to blizzard yesterday. This was, as Craig said, epic. it was an epic kind of deal. But at the same time, if you've lived here for any length of time, you know that the streets are warm, snow is going to melt, the sun is going to come out tomorrow, and luckily we had that. You don't get that all the time in January. You don't get that in February. And so this little spring tree tremor, uh, you know, really obsessively yesterday, it was all gone. I mean, it, it went down at least half. I mean, we had 20 inches. And so by yesterday, I mean, if you'd, plot, if you'd shoveled your sidewalk on the snow day, it, it, everything was clear. So, I mean, it's just another day in the Rockies. And, you know, <laughs> it's very, very hard to predict weather here. Patty, even though it's hard to predict weather and uh, it was an epic kind of freak storm, did officials handle it correctly? Well, you can see, for example, if they had plowed the side streets, the Denver public schools would have been open because the problem was those turned to ice because they weren't plowed. And at 4 in the morning, after having already told people that the schools were going to be open, 4 in the morning they suddenly decide they're going to be closed. I have no dog in this hunt because I had the fastest drives ever to work and from work on Spear Boulevard because Spear Boulevard was clear pretty much at 8 a.m. and at 6, 6 p.m. It was in the middle that was horrible. But 
Also, DIA didn't sound like they'd really planned ahead. TSA certainly didn't plan ahead. People are in hour-long lines this morning at 4 in the morning. The new hotel, nice to have one at DIA, except you've got to walk outside to get there, which isn't very helpful in this weather. And they had a bar that was didn't open until late afternoon. People, people were desperately trying to get a glass of water in there at 1 o'clock. We were getting texts all day. This is a mess, and no one bothered to open it at the Westin. Now, maybe they couldn't get there because of Pena Boulevard, but it seemed a little more communication here could have smoothed things for people. Let's get a quick take on this last one. The U.S. Supreme Court this week declined to hear the lawsuit that Oklahoma and Nebraska have brought against Colorado's marijuana laws. Oklahoma Attorney General Scott Pruitt reiterated that Colorado pot continues to flow into their state, violating federal and state laws, and needs to be addressed. Penn, um, is this the end of the saga between Oklahoma, and Nebraska, and Colorado when it comes to marijuana laws? It's not the end of the saga, but it probably is the end of the saga with the U.S. Supreme Court because the court was very clear in a one-sentence decision. They simply said, no bill of complaint can be filed, period, end of story. And, and some of the critics of the decision are saying that disputes between the states the U.S. Supreme Court has original jurisdiction. That's where those disputes go. But what the Supreme Court decided with this opinion is that we may be the place that the controversies come, but we don't have to take them all. And if we decide this is one we don't want to take, we're not taking it, and it's over. So it's a victory for Colorado. It's a victory for Oregon. It's a victory for Washington and other states that have either recreational and or medicinal. Um, and I still suspect that the complaining states may find other ways to take out their anger with Colorado. <laughs> John, did this clear up anything for the marijuana industry in Colorado? Well, what it did really was, as Penn said, it, it, it told the state that, uh, it told those states, uh, Oklahoma and Nebraska, that the White House and that Colorado and Colorado uh, voters um, have the right idea. If you're really concerned about all of this, legalize it, make some tax money, and get your states uh, back into a positive kind of uh, cash flow situation. That, that would be my suggestion. <laughs> Patty, do you think Oklahoma and Nebraska will be buoyed by John's advice? <laughs> no, I think they will be stopping every single car with Colorado plates coming through just to work out some aggressions. We, however, have two projects in the works, and I enlist anyone here. One, we're going to get together and drive to Nebraska and see how many of us are stopped. Wear your gun, you know, your Rastafarian braids, put some pot leaves on the back of your car, and we'll see what happens. The other thing is rewriting the score to Oklahoma. In, our, in Oklahoma, where the pot comes sweeping down the plane, we're all about it. So we'll perform it here as a fundraiser. <laughs> that would be fantastic. Craig, wrap it up for us. Are the legal, is the legal fight between Oklahoma, Nebraska, and Colorado over? Uh, no, not completely, but the big one. Because what a trial that would have been. Where would it have been held? Who would have been the judges? It all would have had to be defined. So, you know, as a legal analyst, I, it would have been fascinating. But uh, Clarence Thomas and Sam Alito were the only justices who said, we want to hear this case. And I do think it was political, and it just shows how far uh, we've come. And I think if you look at the Republican candidates remaining, uh, Trump and Cruz have said Colorado can do its thing on marijuana. So uh, look at the new world of 2016. Mm-hmm. Well, something that's our favorite part of the show, Disgrace of the Week. And remember, we're starting a new policy around here. You can join in this section of the show, Disgrace of the Week, and say something nice by submitting your own ideas, whether it's on our Facebook page or on Twitter. Let us know what you think it is each week, and we might feature you on this program. But as always, Patty starts us off.
Ms. Calhoun? Well, no matter your religious affiliation, it's hard to argue that the sunrise service at Red Rocks is, is a really stunning event every Easter. And it is canceled this year because Mother Nature dumped two feet on Red Rocks, two feet of snow, and they can't figure out where to put it, even if they had the money to move it. So that's canceled. Mm -hmm. Craig? You know, the disgrace of the week is that a junior high student, middle school student in Denver would see cops as wearing a KKK hood and get an award for doing that because um, I don't blame the child. That's the way those false narratives about hands up, don't shoot, and Trayvon Martin. I mean, there's more than enough real racism without making it up where it doesn't exist. And then to teach it to children, I think it's, it's a darn shame. Craig offers us a great segue. We're going to be talking about the very same issue on CIO Postgame this week, so be sure to check that out. It's our web-exclusive production that we'll be doing just right for the show. Penn, your disgrace of the week. Oh, man. Just <laughs> when I thought it couldn't get any worse, now Donald Trump and Ted Cruz are arguing about each other's wives. And, you know, it just, I, I fear for my country sometime. I, we've, it's... I'm speechless. You're not alone, my friend. You're not alone. John. Oh, back, to, back to Craig's disgrace. I didn't think there was a Ku Klux Klan hood on the cop. I thought there was a picture behind the, behind the police officer. But in any event, that kind of is First Amendment stuff, isn't it, free speech? I, I don't know. For artists, I'm not sure. But um, on, on my, uh, I guess my disgrace, I, I would have to give it to Kraft Foods. Uh, Last April, they put out a, a couple of commercials that were very sketchy and very shielded, and they said they were changing something in Kraft Macaroni and Cheese. And they didn't tell what they were really doing, but they've sold 50 million you know, units since then, and now they came out and told us they made it healthier. And so they could have done that up front, but I guess they were afraid of the Coke syndrome. I mean, you really want to tell Americans that it's a healthier mac and cheese before they buy it? I don't, I, I don't blame them. Say something nice, say something nice about somebody. Patty? Uh, to continue on the religious beat, a really great program tomorrow set up before the tragedy in Brussels. But building a bridges with the Muslim community, it's going to be at the Colorado Muslim Society from noon to 3. Lots of workshops, panel discussions, just trying to bring the community together. Craig? I am for free speech, and I, I even have questions about them taking that down. My disgrace was that she thinks that's the truth about Ferguson and Trayvon Martin. I do want to say something nice about Douglas County Schools, which is a rarity, but <laughs> I like their new idea where they're getting rid of uh, subsidizing religious schools and uh, having capitalism, free market, see if it'll work in the education system seems to me a worthy experiment. Ben. I, I agree with Patty, and it ties to my piece in that we need a broader communication and conversation. You know, I'm just pleased that the president went to Cuba. If we can normalize relations with the Soviet Union after all these years, we ought to normalize relations with Cuba. And it's a small first step, but it's an important first step in our hemisphere. John. Uh, I think the uh, three county, uh, Chafee County commissioners who went down to the courthouse this week and decided to change their Republican uh, designation on their, uh, on their voting status uh, to independent uh, kind of speaks to what's going on around the country with the, uh, with the presidential race. So I'll give them my, uh, my good thing for the, for the week. That's nice. 
That's all the time we have tonight. Thanks for tuning in. Be sure to check out two special programming nights this weekend. On Saturday, we'll feature a special David Bowie documentary at 7 and 10 p.m. You're not going to want to miss. And on Easter Sunday, we're excited about this. We're running a great marathon of Rick Steves specials about Easter, the Holy Land, and an Ancient Roads Christ the Constantine series. It's going from 2 p.m. all the way to midnight. Uh, be sure to check it out. I think you'll really enjoy it. For everyone here at Channel 12, I'm Dominic Dizzuti. Thanks very much for watching. Good night. Thank you.